Well, thank you for worshiping with us in this Advent season. My name is Zach Thompson. I'm one of the the, uh, pastors on staff here at Calvary. I want to draw your attention to just a couple things that we have coming up to continue to celebrate this season together. We are so excited for the opportunity to gather in uh, six days from now on Christmas Eve. We will get to celebrate the fact that to us a child is born, that Jesus has come with all the wonder that comes with it, how our lives are changed because God has drawn near to us. We have an opportunity to celebrate this at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. At the 3 p.m., we will have a programming available for kids up to five years old. Uh, so feel free to take advantage of that at just the 3 p.m. service. Uh, of course, kids are welcome to join in here and worship with us. We will have battery-operated candles and uh, some activities for them uh, to be part of the worship service here. I do want to ask a favor, though. If you are able to be at the 5 p.m., would you please consider being at the 5 p.m.? In uh, every church that I have been at, you tend to have that first service, and especially now that we are only doing the kids' programming at the 3 p.m., you tend to have more people gravitate towards that service, which is great, which is wonderful. Uh, but if you are able to help split that load a little bit between the two of them, uh, we would be grateful, and I'm sure you would be as well, as it might mean the difference between sitting in this room and sitting not in this room at the 3 p.m. So if you are able to be at the 5 p.m., I would uh, greatly appreciate it if you were at that service. Uh, we are considering that our, our uh, weekend worship service, so we will not be open on Christmas Day on Sunday the 25th, but encourage you to come back on the 1st as we will have a service to reign in the new year, and we will be having just one service on January 1st, and that will be at 10.30 in case you needed to sleep in just a little bit more on that day for whatever reason that might be. So 3 and 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve, no services Christmas Day, 10.30 uh, service on the first. You got all of that? I don't think you have to memorize it. It's on the bulletin in front of you, but wanted to draw your attention to those things. Uh, I was thinking this week about how many words that we have that, that are special, that we use especially at this time of year. I don't mean the words that are exclusively used at Christmas, words like Christmas tree or peppermint bark or wassail or uh, the like uh, of, of that, but I mean words that we use year-round but we especially use at this time of year words like hope and joy and love. I mean, think about it this way. Uh, how many of you right now at your tree at home have an ornament on your tree that has at least one of those words on it? Hope, joy, love. Yeah, you better put your hand on. I checked. <clears throat> And, and think about how many carols that we have that cover these same words as well. I mean, uh, a thrill of hope, the wonders of his love. And, and we, we just finished singing this earlier, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. But there's another word that, that uh, belongs in the Christmas pantheon of words, in addition to joy, hope, and love, and that is the word peace. We talk so much about peace at this time of year. We might have an ornament with that on, on our tree, let alone how often it shows up in our songs. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. 
Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. We continue to talk about this language of peace. And, and, and that last one, the, hail the heaven-born prince of peace, this might recall for us the first week that we had in this series, this series of wonder where we looked back in Isaiah 9 to see where these words come from. This incredible reminder that in the midst of the darkness that's in this world, there has shown this incredible light. Light. This is uh, Isaiah 9, verse 2. It says, The people who walked in, in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them is a light has shone. How has that happened? Skip it over to verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. We talked about some of these, these titles. We talked about the light and what that signifies with, with this coming Prince of Peace, what it signifies that this light has come, but we didn't spend too much time on that aspect of peace, of what it is that he's bringing, of what it is that this means. I mean, you even look in, in the very next verse, uh, Isaiah 9, 7, it continues to talk about this. The increase of his government and of his, what's the word there? Peace. There will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We talk so much about peace, this desire for peace at this time of year. It's, it's a word that continues to show up time and time again, and yet our hope for it is not something unique to us. It is the desperate cry of Israel at this time, this longing for this one, this prince of peace who would come, and, and the peace that would bring in and would not just be a short-term fix, but it would not have an end. We've been spending our time in this Advent season preparing for Christmas, reminding ourselves of what it means that Jesus has come, rejoicing that he has come, mourning for the day until he comes back. And we've been doing this by going through this book of Isaiah. As we look at Israel at this time and all that they've gone through, and we can see how desperate they are, how much they are longing for peace. Isaiah is written at a time where it's, it's after years and years of God showing love to his people, giving them uh, hope and guidance, giving them joy and life, giving them a place to live, a future to have, hope to hold on to. And Israel has responded to God giving them all these things with uh, rejection and rebellion and turning towards other gods or turning towards themselves, thinking that they know what is best for them, what is better for them. And all the while, God has continued to show them love and grace and mercy. But now he is speaking through this prophet Isaiah to say, after all these years of rebellion, after all these years of rejection, of, of not acknowledging God as the rightful ruler over all, there has come upon Israel punishment. That there is punishment for them doing all of this. And he speaks through Isaiah, his prophet, to say that while you were made to be my people, now a new people will come and conquer you. That there is a cost for rebelling against this God. And yet, that's not the full story of Isaiah. Isaiah continues used by God to speak to the people. There is reason to hope. God is still working. 
peace is still possible. Isaiah is, is split up into two or three main sections, depending on who you talk to. Uh, that there are, there, There's a, a big shift that happens about halfway through the book. An idea that was reemphasized for me this past week is I went to go and read from one of my favorite Isaiah commentaries, only to discover I own volume one, and it just goes up to chapter 39. Because there's, there's a shift that happens between chapter 39 and chapter 40. Before, in those first uh, 39 chapters, there's this tremendous focus on this judgment that's, that's coming. Yes, there's, there's elements of hope that sprinkle throughout. We just read a bit of it in Isaiah chapter 9, this promise of this prince of peace. And yet, overwhelmingly, it is focused on the judgment that is coming, on Israel's failure to be faithful. That, that all that is happening now is not something that's out of God's hands, that he is helpless to help Israel. No, this is something he is allowing to bring about justice towards these people who have rejected and rebelled against him. But then you get this shift in chapter 40, where the focus is overwhelmingly on the work that God is doing, on the love he is pouring out on his people. We saw this a little bit last week when when Pastor Tom was here. You have uh, at the end of, of chapter 39 this, this, uh, this foretelling that Babylon will come and conquer God's people And then you get to chapter 40, which says, comfort, comfort my people. That's such a bipolar reaction. How do you go from judgment in chapter 39 to now comfort, comfort my people? This incredibly loving, compassionate phrasing. Well, there's a shift in chapter 40 where the focus is overwhelmingly on the fact that God is still loving this people that rejected him. And while he has poured out love on them, they turn towards other things. He has not stopped loving his people. But we, we might be able to understand why Israel would be so desperate for peace at this time. Why that would be something that they would latch onto and hold onto. Before there was Assyria, Assyria who came in and conquered the northern kingdoms. And now there's, there's this telling that Babylon is going to come and conquer them as well, let alone that they have rebelled against God. They are not at peace with their God, their creator, their sustainer. And so there's desperation for peace, trying to latch onto it, to have something to hold on to, even, even just a little hint that peace is available. And we see that in chapter 39. Isaiah is talking to the king, Hezekiah, who, who just let uh, delegates from Babylon come in and get this behind-the-scene tour of all of his house and just showed him where he keeps all of his money. And now Isaiah says, Babylon's going to come and conquer you. And while your son, those who are in your line, while they are king over this people, they will be captured and carried away. And, and this is what Hezekiah says in response to that. This is what he says in Isaiah 9, uh, verse 8. It says, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. And because he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Do do you see what's happening here? So you're saying that Babylon's going to come in and they're going to conquer while my sons are, are king over Israel. Excellent. That's wonderful. Because it means it's going to come after my reign. And so there's going to be peace and security in my days. While I'm king, things are going to be wonderful. No more fighting, no more wars. That's someone else's problem. That's down the line. And this is Hezekiah that's saying this. He's considered throughout uh, Israel's kingdom as, as one of the best kings that they've had. 
And yet he settles for this false, shallow form of peace. Now, to let him off the hook just a little bit, uh, how often do we settle for a shallow, temporary form of peace? How often do we, uh, who are desperate for peace in our life, latch on to anything that seems to give us hope, anything that seems to give us peace? How often do we do something similar? Because I, I think what it is is, is that we and, and Hezekiah have a really narrow view of what it is that we're hoping for. We have a really small understanding of what peace actually is. See, when we're talking about peace, for the most part, we we tend to mean the removal of something or something being put an end to or something being stopped, something taken away. I mean, Hezekiah here, he says, there will be peace and security in my days, which which to him means there's not going to be any fighting. There's there's not going to be any war. All of this conflict will be taken away. And, And to him, he sees that as a win, that success, no more fighting. That's all been stopped. And maybe we think of peace in that way too. I mean, when we see the images that come out of Ukraine, of the destruction of property, of, of homes, of possessions, of comforts, of lives and, and livelihoods, when we just see the destruction and devastation, don't we too wish that that was removed, that was taken away, that peace was available there? We might think about peace in this way as the removal of something when it comes to, to our lives, all the distractions that we have, the, the way that we feel pulled in so many different directions that, that it just feels like there's too much. And if this was just lessened, if this was just stopped, then, then that's when I would feel at peace. Or maybe it's when we're overlooked or undervalued, underappreciated, whether that's in a relationship or at work or wherever it might be, that that if this was just ended, if I was no longer seen as as something less than valuable, if I was seen as something that wasn't worthwhile, if that just stopped, if my circumstances changed, then I would be at peace then. Or or maybe it's, it's conflict that we might have. Maybe in a relationship at work, with a spouse, with, with our kids, it, that there's this, this uh, f- uh, conflict that's happening. If that was just stopped, if this was put an end to, well, then that would make things be good. That's what would make me feel at peace. Maybe it's these feelings of uneasiness that we have, of, of not knowing what to do, this, this, uh, this we don't know which direction to go to. There's just too many options, too many things, too much to balance. If, if that was just done, then I would feel okay. Maybe it's in our homes. Maybe the yelling that takes place, whether that's at somewhere, just the fact that there always seems to be noise. That if that was removed, then things would really be good. Or we could be honest here, maybe you're, you're praying for 15 minutes where your kids could just be out of the house and that's when you would truly find some peace. See, see in all these descriptions, peace for us is this removal of something. And, and I want to make it very clear, these desires, they aren't necessarily bad, depending on how far you take them. Uh, but these, they're not necessarily bad, but they are a shallow understanding of what peace is. That if something was taken away, 
If, if things were just different, if my circumstances would change, if, if this thing that I don't like, if that was removed from me, then I would truly feel at peace. But that's not the case. That's not what true peace is. That's not lasting peace. It is, it is a hollow substitute. It is looking at byproducts. It is looking at symptoms of things rather than pursuing what we ought to have, which is true and lasting peace. See, peace is not the, the removal of something which could always come back. It's not the changing of circumstances which could always return. It's not putting an end to something because there could always be something new around the corner. Instead, what we are craving for, what the Bible talks about when it says that peace is available, is wholeness, is completeness, is, is lasting unity with nothing missing from us. We, we look at the things that we don't like, and, and if those were just removed, then that's when there would be peace. But it misses what true and lasting peace is. Think about it through the lens of fighting and war. We said if, if, if that would just be removed, then that's when peace would, have, uh, it would happen. But it doesn't restore what was lost. It doesn't restore which was, that was taken. It doesn't mean that, that just because they're not fighting with weapons anymore that, that relationships have been restored. That the retreating army does not signify that conflict is truly over. Instead, what we pray for in, in, in peace with conflict is the restoration of relationships, of things being made whole, of, of humanity being restored to people, of wrongs being righted. That's what peace is. In these feelings and, and situations that we're going through, this, uh, this conflict that's within us, this uneasiness that we feel, oftentimes we think if, if our circumstances were just different, if these thoughts could just be taken away, if these negative emotions that I have, if I just didn't have them anymore, then I would truly be at peace. But that's a symptom. It's a byproduct. Because the cruel reality of this world is there's always new fears to be had. There's always new obstacles to go through. And the mere fact that they get removed doesn't mean that we will truly be at peace. Instead, we seek to be reminded of who we are, of who we have been called to be, of what we're called to do in all things. True restoration, true peace to be had. In our relationships, whether that's with a spouse or kids or, or someone you work with or anyone you might come across that we often think, if they just operated, if they just behaved as I think they ought to have, if they just robotically did what was right all the time, that's what would be peaceful. That's not the case. Instead, how do we seek to love and care for others as God has made them? That's how we find peace in this. These, these feelings, these emotions that we have, these thoughts that we, that we don't like, that, that the mere removal of them does not make things better. But it's instead acknowledging who God has made us to be and not running away from things that we don't like, but in the midst of even chaos, finding true and lasting peace. And that, that is what is available to us. We think of peace often as the removal of something, and yet what we see is actually the opposite of true is true. How we find peace, what we so long for, what Israel's hope for, is not the removal of things, things being taken away, things being ended, but instead someone drawing near. Here's our takeaway for today. I'm sorry that it took us so long to get to it. 
Actually, I'm not really sorry. Uh, Our takeaway is that in the midst of our fears, we can have peace because God is with us. This word that we use this time of year, this, this longing that we have, there's so much that makes us feel uneasy. There's so much that terrifies us. There's, there's so much that, that we worry about. There's so much conflict. There's, there's actual, literal conflict at times too. And we are desperate, crying out for peace. Well, in the midst of our fears, of all that overwhelms us, of all that terrifies us, of all that, that, that uh, averts our eyes towards that thing. In the midst of our fears, we can have peace. Not some soft substitute, but true, lasting peace because God is with us. To see that, we are in Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. As you're turning there, let me set the stage again. I know I've done, like, this whole thing has been background so far, but I'm going to do a little bit more background. Uh, In chapter 42, it ends with this reminder to Israel as to why they faced judgment, as to why they went through this punishment. Israel had turned away from their God who did nothing but love them. Israel had made them into a people, but they desired to be someone else. God had shown them so much grace and hope, providing them everything that they had, all that they needed, and yet they felt they needed fulfillment outside of that. Because of that, God allowed for this judgment to happen. But then we get this incredible shift in Isaiah 43. It says, but now. There's so much beauty that could be found in just those two words. Before there was judgment, but now. Before there was pain, but now. Before there was heartbreak, but now. Before was Israel not being fulfilled. Before was Israel turning towards other things. Before was God bringing judgment upon his people. Before was God being rejected, but now. Thus says the Lord. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And from the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. But now. The essential storyline of the Bible can be summarized in those words. But now. That we, like Israel, have gone far off. 
We, like Israel, have, have turned towards other things. We, like Israel, have sought love and peace and joy and hope and all but the one true source of those things. And yet God does not stop. God does not cease. That though backs are turned on him, that he does not do the same. But now, and we get this incredible picture of the love of God poured out on his people. Let me, let me just grab a couple of phrases in here that, that stuck out to me. He says that I have called you by name. There's this really personal, close, uh, uh, intimate relationship there. The, the, one of the things that I'm terrible at is knowing people's names, and, and, and I, it, uh, I'm horrified by that because it could imply that I don't care about you, and that's, that's not the case, but it's especially not the case here for God. That out of a world with 8 billion people in it, all of the history of humanity, that he knows his people by name. This closeness to him, this intimacy, this love that is there. I have called you by name. There's this reminder that I will be with you. That yes, God is everywhere. We, we say he's omnipresent. He is in all places and yet he is there with his people. It's like a parent at a busy playground, that there's lots of kids that they are there with, but they are there with their child, near enough to help, close to see whatever it is that they need, surrounded by kids, yes, but they're especially with their own. God says, I am there with you. He says, uh, I am the Lord your God identifying himself as someone who cares and protects his people. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. And this promise in verse 7 is for everyone who is called by my name, that he is showing this love towards all who are his people, all who are connected to him. We see this incredible, tremendous picture of the love that God demonstrates to his people. And we also see the basis of it, of what it is that causes God to love in this way. And what it is that, that makes those words appear but now. What it is that causes this transition from uh, chapter 42 with the reminder as to why there was judgment. And then chapter 43, which is this outpouring of God's love upon him. We see the basis as to why there is that shift, why God loves in this way. And it certainly is not Israel. It's not that they cleaned up their act, that they got things right. That's what the shift is between these two chapters. Nope, they continue to rebel in the same way that we do. But the basis of all of this is God himself. God loves because he is love. God gives grace because he is grace. God brings peace because he is a peacemaker. The basis for all of God's action here, all of God's love poured out on his people is himself by himself, for his glory. But I, I, I want to draw our attention to what it is that God speaks here. The first phrase, as we're pulling up phrases in here as to what shows us God's love, the first phrase that's given to us is, I think, perhaps the most significant. It says, fear not. Fear not. 
We've talked about this before, about how fear not, do not be afraid. This is one of the most common commands of the Bible. Oftentimes we, we look at the commands. What is, it, what is it that God's calling us to do when we find them to be restrictive or, or telling us how we ought to live our lives, even though it is the best way for us to live? And yet the most common command is the one most full of grace, and it is fear not. Do not be afraid. For, for our purposes today, we can, we can say that fear is, is quite the opposite of peace. As we who are longing for peace, it's often when we are full of fear that we are at our peacelessness. That it's often when we're terrified that we feel so uneasy. That it's often when we're overwhelmed by all of these things that we, we feel so lost and adrift. It's often in the midst of conflict and fighting that we feel our most afraid. And so we feel our most uh, at, at ill peace. And so this command that's given to us, this reminder, this love that's given to us, fear not. Do not be afraid. Be at peace. In the midst of your worries, in the midst of your pain, fear not. How is that possible? We've gone through example after example as to why Israel was desperate for peace, why they had reason to be afraid. We've gone through example after example as to what fears might be inside of us, why we are so desperate for peace. How is it possible to not fear? How is it possible to be unafraid? I want to draw our attention once again to verse 2. He said, fear not. And it says, when you pass through the waters. Can we, can we read this next phrase? I will be with you. How are we to fear not? How are we to be unafraid in the midst of all that's going on? as we pass through the waters with, with being overwhelmed by the obstacles and difficulty of life, how are we unafraid? God says, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers and the, and the fears that come with the rushing of waves, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. There is nothing said here about the removal of anything. When you go through the flame, when you go through the waters, when you go through, through uh, the, 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 I forgot the third, but when you go through these times, the most overwhelming, the things that give us the most fear, what is it that makes us at peace? It's not that these things are taken away from us. It's not that we are promised that there will be no hardships. We are given something better, a true form of peace, the promise from God, I will be with you. In the midst of our fears, we can have peace because God is with us. And there's so much that's beautiful. There's a beautiful sentiment to these words. And in fact, this entire series that we've been going through, through the book of Isaiah, looking at the wonder that is Jesus coming into this world, there is so much beautiful, uh, there's so much beauty in what we see about the works of God. That this is a world that, that can feel so dark and, and, and mystifying. And, and where is our hope in this world? And in the midst of that comes the light of this world. That it could seem so overwhelming and hopeless, and yet from a stump comes a branch, a king who will bring uh, life to his people. 
that we can feel so uh, uh, lost in direction of this, and yet a shepherd comes to bring to his people all comfort, that, that we continue to see these promises coming from Isaiah, and they're beautiful. They, they fulfill the hope of our lives, and yet they're more than just words. They're more than just things that might give us hope in the midst of despair. They're, they're more than just nice things to really hear. Because what we see with this coming branch, this coming life, this coming shepherd, peace, true and lasting peace being offered, it isn't something that we just say, that would be nice. It is something that we know that we can have because the basis of us not having fear, the reason why we can have, uh, have, have peace is those words given to us, I will be with you. And he kept that promise on Christmas. Uh, let's t- turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, when we hear of the birth of Jesus. This is verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth. Let's read this together. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Peace. We have the same declaration that's given in verse uh, or in Isaiah 43, fear not. Do not be afraid. And, and again, how can this be said? There's so much to be terrified of, just in general. There's so much that that robs from us a feeling of peace, let alone the fact that this is hundreds of years after God said, I will be with you. And and there's been hundreds of years of wondering, when will God keep that promise? When will God be with his people? When can we truly have peace? And there's seemingly no sign of that, let alone this angel appears. It breaks the night open, this seemingly random night. The the world is, is being shaken around these shepherds. How can you say fear not? There's so much to be afraid of here. And yet, what is the basis of this lack of fear? What is the basis of this fearlessness? It is that good news of great joy has come for all the people. Because on this day, a Lord has been born. A Savior has been born. Two titles that were used of God back in Isaiah 43 when he promised to be with his people. That the words here reflect what we saw in Isaiah 9, that for us a child is born. This child has come. This promised prince of peace is here. 
And, and so for us who are people who are desperate for peace, we rejoice at Christmas because God has come with us. As, as Aaron said earlier, that Emmanuel, this title that's used of God that we sing about this time, it means God is with us. The basis of our fearlessness, the reason why we can have peace at this time of year is that Emmanuel has come. God is with us. Emmanuel signals for us, God being with us signals peace. And when we understand that, we can push through discouragement, sorrow, hard times, let downs. We can go through the fire. We can go through the water. We can go through calamity. That when we seek true and lasting peace, rather than settling for any cheap substitutes, that we can find in Jesus all the promises that come to us at Christmas. All of those words that we sing about are true for us because God has come. Joy, hope, love, peace. When we wonder if God cares, we can remember that he has come to be with us. He is Emmanuel. When we wonder that if, if we have been good enough for him, we can remember that he has come as Emmanuel. When we wonder if evil wins at the, all of this, at the end of this, is all that we can see is what hurts, well, we can remember Emmanuel. When we wonder if we can make it, if we can truly last this out, we can remember Emmanuel. When we wonder if we can live in peace in the midst of our circumstances, we can remember Emmanuel. See, whatever it is that we're facing, whatever doubts might come, whatever we might be afraid of, whatever might be making peace unobtainable, we have a Savior, a Lord. Jesus, born to us on this day. By him coming, by him keeping his promises, we can find peace. I will be with you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I will be with you. Enter into my peace. In the midst of our fears, we can have peace because God is with us. I want to leave us with this. I, I, I quoted from a few of our, our carols that we, we have earlier to see how these songs continue to show up. This desperate hope that we have for joy and hope and love and peace are the things that we continue to sing about at this time and, and not without reason. We are promised these things because Jesus has come and we can know that this promise will be kept because Jesus has come. God's promise, I will be with you, is true in the coming of Jesus. But I want to draw our attention to uh, one of my favorite carols to sing at this time of year. It's called, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. It's not one that we, we always go to, but, but I, I find this to be truly a perfect song for Advent. Verse 1 starts with this rejoicing in the fact that Jesus has been born, that this promise that God will be with his people has been kept. And, and it quotes from Luke 2 to go to the angel singing the song, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in fact, that, that kind of becomes a refrain throughout the song. Every verse acknowledges that the angels are singing the song, peace on earth and goodwill to men. And, and so it captures what we're doing at Advent. We rejoice in the fact that Jesus has come. We rejoice in the fact that peace is possible because the Prince of Peace has come. But we are still mourning as well. That we are people who look out and they and we see lots of reasons to not find peace, lots of reasons to still be afraid. And we get 
to this verse, verse 4 of the song that speaks to where we're at. It's, it's truly maddening to me. Oftentimes that this, this verse isn't included in people's rendition of the song. And I can get that a little bit. We are people who tend to be really good at verse 1 and maybe even verse 2 of Christmas carols, but verse 4 speaks to where we are. It speaks to where we are living at this time. As people rejoicing that Jesus has come, mourning until the day he comes back, longing for this peace, knowing that we have it. This is what verse 4 says. It says, For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, and when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold. The days that we're longing for, knowing that they are ever-circling, this is coming to be true. What will happen in that day? When peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world send back the song that now the angels sing. We are eager for this day to come because it has already been started. For to us a child is born. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. That in the midst of our fears, we can have peace because God is with us. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you continue to show love and mercy and grace to us. That you are the source of what we are longing for. Hope and life and joy and peace that you offer this to us, not on the basis of our ability to follow you, because if that was the case, we would receive nothing. Not on our ability to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps or, or fix the things that are around us, because we demonstrate time and time again that that is out of our reach, out of our abilities. But now you have shown us love. That while we continue to turn towards other things, we continue to rebel, we continue to be at odds with you, not finding peace even with you, let alone any part of our lives, but now you have poured out your love. And you have brought about peace, not some cheap removal of things that distract or harm, but proper, true, lasting peace that comes from you drawing near to us. We celebrate peace as available, peace as not just a possibility, but a certain future, because you have come. You have kept your promise. God with us, Emmanuel. So it's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.